0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Abstract Podcast. This is Episode 5. Today we are giving away a book. We're looking at the fast food brackets, talking about baseball, COVID-19, and culture wars. At least that's what's on the agenda to talk about. So, Colin, let's start off with our yeah. giveaway. This is kind of fun. I think it will be fun. Um, what we did to do this giveaway was we just talked about it last episode. Whoever wanted mm-hmm. to be entered just sent us a message and entered. I'm gonna check really fast to make sure no one else entered. That would that would throw off our our. But we've it was won- a good we- thing to enter because you had a high percentage of you had 20% chance of winning because we've only had yeah. five contestants so far. Only five contestants. So, and we actually have a
1: winner, if there's no one else that entered. There's
0: no one else entered okay. that I can tell. So our winner for our book giveaway da, is da, da. Davis Backer. Congratulations, Congratulations, Davis. So I'll be reaching out to you, and you'll be telling me what book you want, and then we're going to get it for you. Then so, we could review it unless without yeah. reading it. Or we could tell him to review yeah. it. Yeah, we could do unless that. it's some crazy conspiracy theory book, then we will refuse to buy it for you. Okay.
1: From that to our fast food bracket, we are nearing the end. We're in the final four. In our final four, we have McDonald's facing off against Wendy's. We have Chick-fil-A facing off against five guys. Javen, who you got?
0: To me, these were not hard. This was not a hard option. It's been interesting to just kind of see how it all boils down. So in our well, to back up just a bit, in our last round, Firehouse Subs lost and McDonald's won. Mm-hmm. Uh Wendy's beat out Arby's. Chick fil A beat out Hardee's. I don't know how Hardee's made it to the final eight. I do. It's called the thick burger. And somehow five five guys beat out Chipotle, which is, that's tough. No, that's good. All right, so on the left side of the bracket, Wendy's versus McDonald's. I'm taking Wendy's. I love the frosty. I feel like when you get a burger from Wendy's, it just feels like someone cared. Took a little more time to make that than McDonald's. When you get something from McDonald's, sometimes I just feel like they didn't care. But the chicken sandwich. But they do have good coffee. That's their one
1: one thing I like from there. But Wendy's. no, I'm with you. I'm gonna have to go with Wendy's.
0: Okay, good. We're in
1: agreement. But then. it still was a travesty. The two biggest travesties were Chipotle beating out Zaxby's <laughs> and that McDonald's
0: beat Firehouse Subs. Like, how does that even what what
1: reality are we yeah, seeing? Yeah, and where Taco that Bell happens?
0: Also, Del Taco. Two of my really favorite places. My brother Luke said he just ate at Del Taco and he was just describing how great it was. He got the strawberry lemonade and a bunch of food for like under four dollars. Wow. I was going to say something else. Anyway, so then moving on to the right side, we got five guys, burgers and fries, up against Chick fil A. Who I'm you got? have to go with Chick fil A on this Chick-fil-A. one yeah. on the Five guys put up a fight. For sure. I'm definitely taking Chick fil A, which I just like to call the Lord's Chicken. Also, testament to Chick fil A right here. I'm just, <laughs> a little testimony time. So the other night, me and Alicia went through the Chick fil A drive through. It was after um, Thursday night ministry over in Seneca. So it's kind of late. I don't know. It was like eight thirty, and we got a large fry because we were just going to share it. Well, we get the large fry from. They hand it to us. We look in the bag, and it's like half full, maybe. I mean, it was like at best a medium fry, which is very disappointing if you're going to be sharing. So, I took to Google reviews to um just voice this tragedy, and I just like, come on, Chick Fil A, like, what are we doing? Well, they responded to my Google review and said, hey, send us an email. So I did. And they put a free large fry on my Chick-fil-A app that I can go back and redeem. Okay, that's solid I mean, right there. That's, that's why Chick-fil-A is going to win this competition. Yeah, that is solid.
1: Well, yeah, that would not be ethical, I guess, just to post that kind of. I was thinking if that happens on a review, maybe. But, yeah, yeah, you know, the ethics would go down,
0: downhill fast. That would be unethical, probably.
1: But I'm currently looking up Del Taco locations because I've never eaten there, and hearing you describe tacos has made me hungry. Okay. All right, well, this will give me a chance to just
0: go on a small um, divergence. It's really random. So last night, me and Alicia and, what was it, three friends, I think? Oh, our light just went out. Come on, buddy. Went to Wild Wings Cafe in mm-hmm. Anderson. You been there? Oh, yeah, many times. Yeah, good stuff. Solid place. It's basically like an alternative to Buffalo Wild Wings, which... Cheaper alternative, usually. Oh, okay, I didn't... Ish. Yeah. It's about the same. Anyway, we went on a Tuesday night where they have the buy one, get one free. So you buy, like, six wings, you get six free. So it's half price. Really great deal. So we went, and our server... I want to be graceful, but just really, really subpar service... And the people beside us in the booth were complaining to us about this person and saying that the server came and asked them if they were ready for their checks before the food was even brought out to them. (laughs) The guy was like, that's a a new concept, paying for the food before you even (laughs) (laughs) eat. Anyway, so all this to say, it just really frustrated me because the server's tactic, because obviously this person was just not keeping up, not... Filling orders correctly, not putting them in correctly, not just not keeping up. But then the tactic was just to blame the restaurant, blame the people who were making drinks, blame the people back in the kitchen because everything was just wrong. And this was just my first day back, and I was like, come on, like own up to your mistakes, and you know you'll get grace. We'll still you know still tip you, but like don't blame it on everyone else, especially when you you're charging people for stuff they haven't even eaten yet. So that was just my little. Did you find a Del Taco? Yeah, it's like forty-eight miles away. Really? I, yeah. I didn't even know they were that like close. Where Gainesville, that? Georgia? Gainesville? Yeah, yeah. I which actually to isn't
1: too far from where I teach. So. Make a pilgrimage. I know. I'm gonna have to make a pilgrimage one Speaking day. Speaking
0: of teaching, I was hearing you in a conversation earlier. Where are you yeah. at with that? How much you got?
1: Um, so I'm closing in. I, I'm closing off this week. Um, closing off. It'd be seven weeks of teaching total. Two of those are virtual. And then five weeks full lead in person teaching, and then after this week I will begin phasing back to more like one, maybe two classes a day, teaching those till April. So basically till graduation. Mm-hmm. So just you said well, I, about two weeks before graduation, so I can compile all the stuff, all the data that I've collected into my senior project. Gotcha. And so, do some writing.
0: Interesting. So how many are you doing right now? If you're gonna cut back to two, uh, I got four classes right now. Four. So mm-hmm. it'll be half the load. Yeah, that, or I might even go all the way back to one.
1: Nice. And then I'll be able to start working on, because now I've got all kinds of stuff that needs to be written about, formatted, all in my senior project. So nice. now I basically will defend my
0: last five weeks. Yeah. Good times. I'm sure you're looking forward to at least cutting back. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> did you you seen the email last night from Jason Jordan? I did. Yeah. So what? Yeah. So last night, Colin and I got an email about graduation, because we've been wondering what graduation is going to yeah. be like. And the email stated that we are not allowed to invite anyone, which is what to I figured graduation. would happen. But really, still was I sad. figured we would be allowed to at least like bring our parents and
1: our wife. Nah, I was pretty sure it was going to be a student only. So, what was graduation?
0: Your, what was the feeling that you felt at that moment?
1: Uh, I mean, it was kind of. I mean, I'd kind of prepared because that's what I thought was going to happen, but it's still a letdown. Um, but I'm hoping to try to maybe persuade the powers that may be to at least let my wife come along.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. So, so this is what I wanted to talk about. Oh yes. I think we need to spend just a little bit of time crafting our best argument for why, because I don't really see them saying yes. Like, do you think there's mm-hmm. any chance they're going to say yes? I give it a <laughs> one
1: in 10 chance. If that, that might be pushing the So odds. there was,
0: there was two strategies that came to my mind. First would be that building has a lot of entrances and it's probably going to be dark outside. So you just sneaker in the side yeah. What if you put a hat and gown, or like
1: a cap and gown on her, and then sneak her in that way, like a graduate? Yeah.
0: Or just like a camera with, like you know, an obvious like a loop over the oh, neck yeah, holding yeah. a camera with like some sort of fake little badge or something. Yeah. And then we could just be like, we could just I'm tape- filling in for photography because some of the photographers for the school are, are graduating. graduating. Huh? So
1: I have stu- We both have student IDs. If we could just get yeah. little, little pictures laminate, of our wives and tape them on there, um, yeah. and get a camera. <laughs> So that's probably the more dubious, unethical Uh, way. Yeah. The other, I was thinking of reaching out to to ask Debbie to put in a good word.
0: (laughs) Okay. So along this route, what I was thinking was if the college being a Christian institution takes Mm -hmm. seriously the Christian, Christian, I'm going to emphasize that teaching about two becoming one One flesh, flesh, baby. If you're going to deny my wife entrance to my own graduation, I mean, it's like not even my whole person being here. That's so it. we could threaten and be like, if our wives aren't coming, it's not we're the not showing hand
1: up. part of the body, right? Or something, whole, <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I'm definitely gonna show up either <laughs> way. I'm not following through on that.
1: It's a complete bluff, but hey, um, definitely have to be thinking. So about, I'm gonna I try. Know, it's so disappointing. I'm gonna go a gentle route first. Reach out. Debbie say, "Hey, uh, is there any way?" There's a small
0: population of us who are actually married. Yeah, very small. Very right? small. It's not going to be that many more people. Um, and it's, it's not like the argument has to be, "Well, if we let you bring one person, we have to let everyone bring one person." That's going to double the size of the. Oh, just say like, no. It doesn't it's have like, to be no. that way. It's just us two. If you just because let us one, us,
1: one flesh. Yes, and if you just let, I'm us. thinking about
0: a little parenthetical scripture reference in the email. Yeah, yeah. That it just make
1: an exception. We've fixed the pub up. Can you repay us by letting our website? Absolutely. Wife come? Anyway.
0: So we'll put in our best appeals, but mm-hmm. if anyone is interested in watching live stream, I feel like oh, everything yeah. we just alternative. Well, you can live stream it. Yeah. You can't actually do this, but you can live stream it. Yeah. Speaking of which, there's a Switchfoot concert tomorrow yeah. night. Beautiful letdown. I'm gonna live stream it. Hopefully, can't go. All right, moving on from our lament. So it's warming up outside. Oh, today is in beautiful. Fact, it is. My watch says it Oh, is it's so so nice. 72
1: degrees. And with the warming weather comes changes in sports. So pitchers and catchers reported, I think, last week to spring training. Yeah. And then the other players, are, I think they're returning this week um, to spring training. Do you think they get paid more
0: for for reporting earlier?
1: Uh, I don't know.
0: I doubt it. Probably not. I doubt it, but
1: I just saw yesterday Chipper showed up down for the Braves as their hitting coach. So he showed up (sighs) going to get rolling with the training. Does Terry Pendleton still coach third over there? He does. He took last year off, I believe, because of COVID concerns. Okay. He's old. But I, I could be wrong on that. Yeah, so he's getting up there in them. years. But or maybe that's was Ron Washington. I forget. He's first base. Yeah. I forget. Up. I think one of them. Okay. Did. Anyway. So anyway, with baseball in the air. Um, I was reading um a good little article on Fathom magazine about the nothingness of baseball and kingdom come. And Jamie, did you have a time to
0: read Yeah, I did. I read this article. It was cool. Uh, Written by Joseph
1: Honesco.
0: Honesco, (laughs) I believe. (laughs) Probably
1: butchered that. Um, Sorry about that, Joseph. But it was a really good article, and it's only like – it's one of those – Fathom Magazine is one of those places that have their articles, and they also have, like, the time it's going to take
0: you to read it. I think it was a four-minute read. Um, It'll be in the show notes if you're interested. It'll be in
1: the show notes, but it was really good. Um, I really enjoy baseball. I know you do. Yeah. Javen, um, And we have our various reasons for liking it. But the author of this piece was um, basically exploring the themes of baseball and of the coming kingdom of Christ. And so a couple things that, well, first off, just a quote from it that I really liked. Um, sports writer Peter Panacy has said, Baseball fans typically have to know and understand much more than the casual fan. They have to be more patient, too. Um, quote. The sport refuses to provide the constant stream of entertainment people have grown accustomed to. It wants to leave you in some suspense. Excitement hides in the tension between what is happening and what will. Christians live in a similar tension that already but not yet pastors and theologians talk about. Christ's kingdom came with his first arrival, and we look forward to the fullness of that kingdom coming with his return. Turns out Tom Petty was right. The waiting is the hardest part in life as it is in baseball. So, Jamin, does that ring true with why you like baseball?
0: Yeah, I think it does. Um, when I was reading the article, what came to my mind was, I mean, I think every other major sport that I can think of, um, it's it's a timed event. So like, even if you don't exactly know how long it's going to take to watch it Mm -hmm. because of timeouts and commercials and all that, like it's a timed event. So they're going to be playing out there for one hour of time or half hour or however long the ball is going to be in play. But in baseball, none of that matters. Like we're going to be out here until everything that needs to get done gets done. Yep. And what needs to get done is sometimes it'll be 17 to come up nine times and you have to get them out nine times. And if it's, 40 to 3 at the end, it doesn't matter. Like, we're going to play until this is over. Yep. <laughs> Except in Little League where they just have mercy rules.
1: I also like how it's one of the few sports in which to get only a third mm-hmm. of your time right at the plate is considered really good. Um yeah. So, like, uh, I mean, just if you dropped – if you only caught 33% of the passes – yeah, you caught or as a wide receiver. Or hit 30% of your field goals. Hit 30% of your field goals, threw for a 30% completion rate, shot 30% from the field right. in basketball, whatever else. It all would be really, really poor because you need to be succeeding majority of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but baseball, like if you're hitting over 300... Um, yeah, you can fail 60% of the time and make the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, So anyway, it was really interesting... Um, the comparison between that and Christ's work on earth. And he finishes by saying, Christ's return will undoubtedly fill the earth with excitement, but he's filling it now too in subtle ways. He moves in our laundry rooms and morning commutes and conversations over dinner and every Zoom meeting we have. He has not left us unattended until the end. He works today. I think it's um just back to, to baseball. Like, because I know there's not, I mean, there's still a lot of people that like watching baseball, but... There's not just a ton, and a lot of people would rather watch many other sports. And, and if I'm honest, I like watching basketball better than, than baseball. Um, but I do love watching baseball. Um, but you do, at times, especially if you go to the stadium, it's typically in the middle of summer. It's hot. You <laughs> right. sweat, and it's long, and... It can be boring sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um,
0: Especially if you don't have a good seat.
1: Yeah, cuz I remember one. Well, okay, this game actually wasn't that boring even though the Braves pitcher was pitching a no-hitter till the sixth, and so like nothing was happening. Right. Um but it was kind of exciting cuz it was the Braves pitcher and they weren't being no-hit. Um So But I, then you have brief moments of like extreme excitement. Yeah. That are fantastic.
0: I would say um towards the end, I don't know if I would say I disagree with him, but one point that I thought I would bring out um he talks about the World of Fitness Witness the final culmination of the kingdom, and the scoreless innings will cease. Our team will be victorious. We could wait another 1,000 innings, and it may at times seem that the scoreboard favors our opponent. Pain causes questions, but our victory is on his way. I mean, I think I get what he's saying, but um, I guess it's just in light of kind of some other conversations we've been having in class. Like, I think it's important that we do think of the victory of Christ as already having happened. Mm-hmm. This is not yeah. something we're really waiting for. Like, Death has been defeated, and the victory right. is complete. We're waiting to be with Christ again. Do you, like, do you know what I'm saying? I think so. Um, my one professor was, <laughs> he was, he kind of got on a soapbox and he was saying, he was like, I wish in Sunday school, the first time you came into Sunday school when little Johnny's three years old, he said, I wish the first thing that they would teach them is that it's not God's job to defeat the enemy, it's humanity's job mm-hmm. to defeat the enemy. And I, I guess, I, I don't know, I guess I've been thinking about that kind of since that class. I think this is really. An interesting point because um, I forget what the heresy is, but it's one of the heresies that the early church had to combat. Where it's this like God and devil on your shoulder, mm-hmm. where God and Satan are on the same plane, and in the end, God's finally going to edge out the victory. Mm-hmm. Like that's really not how we should conceptualize it at yeah. all. God yeah. is not doing battle with Satan. Like if God did, there would be no battle. They're not on the same level of existence at all. So yep. God leaves it. God leaves it up to Adam and Eve and humanity to kick the serpent out of the garden. They failed the first time. Christ, as the new Adam, was completely victorious. Mm-hmm. And now, as, like, children of God, we participate in that victory right. and finish out the task of kicking all of the remaining evil out of the world. Right. Which has culminated, like, in the... uh... Parousia? Parousia? Yeah. 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 I the, just learned that word. The meeting, right? The meeting. Yeah. yeah when Christ comes again the second time.
1: Um... Yeah, I think, and I've, I've heard, um, there's some songs Andrew Peterson has written, and I think how he's phrased it before that I liked that idea. It's the same idea, but the victory has already been won. Death has been defeated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of conceptualizing, like Satan as on, or, or the devil, you know, as on the same plane as Christ, he said, the devil has been, and evil have been defeated, um, but now they are just, um, uh, not vagabonds, but they are just uh, outlaws. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an organized thing. It's caused a little chaos on your way out. Yeah. Because um, there's a new sheriff in town and he's going to hunt you down.
0: Yeah. And like um, that's just such a different way of looking at the world. And I think that we yeah. often get, we often get like, oh man, as Christians, we're so beaten down and oppressed and this world is so bad and the darkness is all around and it's yeah. just we're losing, but Christ is going to save us in the end. It's like, no, like we're really not. Like the victory's actually already been won mm-hmm. and we get to participate in that victory. We should be living in freedom and victory. Like, not this. The draggled, draggle right. kind of thing.
1: Right. Yeah. No. Good that's, article. That's really good. Yep. So, a good little article there. Again, it takes four minutes to read, according to Fathom Magazine. So, check it out. Um, okay. So, we talked about... We just... This nice little caveat. We talked about how our graduation plans aren't quite as we envisioned them or hoped when we began college. Um, and the reason for that is obviously COVID-19. But there are... Some good things on the horizon right. in the future of this pandemic. Um, so, The Atlantic just posted a really good article, um, and it just kind of details and exp- is kind of explaining, again, whenever you have something that's live, like COVID-19, with the amount of variants um, there's just has to be a million caveats with how you yeah. understand it. Like it's just, it's complicated for how everything works and it's difficult getting the correct statistics and understanding it. Um, especially with the amount of mutations that are happening and, um, new strains anyway. But they, I think they did a good job. Um, they basically summed up in four reasons why COVID-19 cases are dropping fast.
0: So maybe you could just kind of, cause I think you know more about this than I do. So, We are seeing maybe like looking back, we were kind of, we already hit the top of the hill. We're kind of on the downhill slope. Like that's kind of the. Yeah. So about a month and a half ago was kind of a a
1: huge peak when there was, you know, close to 4,000 deaths per day. Um, I forget how many people hospitalized, but we are at about 70% less people hospitalized right now. And as hospitalizations go, obviously your death toll is about two weeks behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so our death toll is beginning to go down and will continue to go down because hospitalizations are continuing to be on the decline. And if you look at the charts, like you can just watch it go and all of a sudden like the bottom falls out Mm. and it just drops like crazy in the last, uh, three, four weeks. So we have, we have hit 500,000 deaths. We have hit 500,000 deaths. I remember people
0: freaking out about, I mean, not that they shouldn't have, but 200,000 was like a landmark watershed number. Yeah. Or 500,000. That is
1: unbelievable. And there's good reason to believe that it's over 500,000. Um, just because of how the counting goes. I mean, not huge amounts over 500000 but there's a good good chance it is over that.
0: Um, yeah, so take us through these, what, four yeah. reasons?
1: And and I think this is good because I think um, Ross Douthat had a good piece in the New York Times about this too, about how, I think especially for, um, so like Joe Biden and, and Dr. Fauci have both predicted more of like Christmas 2021, we can start going back to normal. And uh, Douthat was just kind of pointing out that if uh, you know, for he thinks for Joe Biden, he was making the case that he thinks Joe Biden is, um, well, you know, overestimating, right. so that overshooting he can, it, so yeah, he overshooting can, it, so he can, yeah, you know, it, it serves his end there. Yeah. Um, and then I think you know the frustration, you know, I've really, really appreciate Dr. Fauci. I think he's he's incredible at, at what he does, but you know, two months ago when it did kind of come out that he does still kind of try to steer how people think about it instead of just telling us what Mm -hmm. he thinks about it. Like, um, and I wish, I mean, that's his specialty. That's what he's incredible at. And, and that was the whole thing, you know, when, uh, there was just some reports about where he explicitly said, he was like, well, I tried to talk about it this way so that people would take it more serious instead of just saying what he thought was how we should understand the virus. So anyway, um, but he's, he said, he thinks with both of those things in play is why, we're still seeing a lot of pessimism with how the end of COVID nineteen is talked about, and he just said if we follow the charts and the data, there's a good reasons to think that potentially this summer we could return to a decent amount of normalcy. Hmm. Um, so this is really hopeful. So fingers crossed about April twenty third, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see once. <laughs> um, so COVID nineteen cases are dropping. Why? Um, this article outlines four reasons um, of why they think that. Reason number one is behavior, and that is that maybe Americans finally got the hang of this mask and social distancing thing. Um, and they say our cautions behavior evidently requires the impetus of a terrifying surge. So they I mean is like you could you could well they'll talk about it more later, but you could chart like when people when the virus would start in an area, the amount of mask wearing and social distancing mm. protocols went way up, and so then the virus would kind of get under control, go back, people relax. Anyway, and so it kind of got into a little cycle there. Um, so in the spring, southern and or in the yeah in the spring, southern and western states thought they had avoided the worst of the early wave. I remember that, and governors refused to issue mask mandates. Then cases spiked in Texas, Florida, and Arizona, and mask wearing behavior in the South increased. When the cases came down again, then people relaxed and cases went up again and the awful doozy doo continued. (laughs) Um, So they say one reason why we might begin to see COVID or why we're seeing COVID cases dropping is because people are starting to get the hang of how this mask and social distancing thing works, where it just needs to be consistent in it. Um, Second reason, seasonality. The coronavirus was perhaps destined to decline this time of year anyway. And so this raises the possibility that the SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is seasonal. Um, Last year, there was a huge study of coronaviruses such as SARS-CoV-2, and they found that they typically peak in the northern hemisphere during the winter, which we are just beginning to come out of. With the most common peak months being January and February. The Mm. apparent seasonality of human coronaviruses across the globe suggests that this phenomenon might be mined to produce improved understanding of the transmission of COVID-19, the authors concluded. So, again, um, hopefully this is a bit seasonal, which obviously it wasn't as seasonal as we hoped last year. There was a lot of talk about, well, once it gets summer, it'll Mm -hmm. die out. That didn't happen. Um, but there is a good chance based off of some of these studies that they've done that have at least declined somewhat. So that's good. Um, third reason is partial immunity. Um, and that is, is the virus running out of bodies? The coronavirus needs bodies to be a host in order to survive and replicate. And it now has access to fewer welcome hosts. So 15 to 30% of American adults have already been infected with COVID-19 according to CDC. And since people recovering from COVID-19 typically develop lasting immunological protection for many months, at least, um, there have been some studies which suggest perhaps your antibodies don't last more than three to six months. Um, but from what I have seen, there's not just a ton of data on it yet. Um, but there, the number of antibodies swirling around the U.S. population may naturally
0: constrict the original
1: coronavirus's path
0: forward. So, yeah, I mean, this was the argument people have been making about herd immunity from the beginning, right? Let's yeah. just all get this. So it, so this isn't exactly saying herd immunity, but partial immunity. Right. Right. Yeah. So this is actually, I think, I fall into this category. I had COVID, and I now have the antibodies, mm-hmm. and I know I have the antibodies because you're making because money off it. <laughs> I go donate plasma every Tuesday. And I think I might go tomorrow because I want to buy a new camera lens, so some extra money. And, um, yeah, they actually pay you to donate your plasma. And they yeah. pay you more if you, don't, if you have COVID antibodies. And I do not know if I've had it, but I don't know. It's been in my house.
1: My wife's had it, but yeah, don't know if I've had it. I got sick before, but I tested negative twice, I think, while I was sick, so I have no idea. Um, and the last reason they posit is because of vaccines. The shots work. Um which by the way uh exciting news today because Johnson and Johnson was just cleared for their oh, really? single shot um coronavirus vaccine you, you do not have to get two.
0: The Pfizer you have to get two. Pfizer and Moderna you the have, Moderna, have to get both two. Moderna you have to get two. That's
1: interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and again Johnson and Johnson I think was 92% efficacy so another it's it's a it's really, really su- highly functional vaccine. Yeah. Um, and anyway, a lot more could be said on those. but Yeah,
0: so one thing that I found interesting, I think it was in that article, or maybe it was in the next article, I'm not sure. There was a link to a study that was done by, I'm not actually sure who, but I found it on The Atlantic. And it was a table of people who are the most likely to the least likely to wear masks mm. just by like age, race, sex, and household income.
1: Yeah, I glanced through that. I just, <laughs> just thought it was really
0: interesting. It turns out if you're female,
1: you have higher... Likelihood of wearing a mask, Yeah, females
0: are a little... 42% versus males at 38% um, in the category of very likely to wear a mask. Similarly, in the not likely at all, males are higher and females are a bit lower. So us men don't like wearing masks as much. It's because of our beards. Our beards, I say. Like, I'm part of the club. Because of their beards. Right. Right. Um, I thought this was interesting. Black... People are 60, the number is 62%, white is 35 so black people are much more likely, Twice as likely to be wearing a mask. Hispanic, 57 and other are 49 And then over on the not likely at all to wear a mask, um, whites are at 21%, which is higher than any other category. I found that interesting. And then there was one more, um, well, there's a few more categories, but the one that I also thought was interesting was the census division. So this is kind of geographic Oh yeah. So the least likely to wear a mask are those in the mountain, which would be like I guess like Idaho. Yeah. Well I don't really know. It's mountain, which is after Pacific. There's so I guess mountains. it's out on the west coast. <laughs> oh, and I guess then yeah, yeah. East South East South Central is the second highest or no, tied for second highest. And that would be us for sure. And then the West-North-Central is at 25%. I was trying to think what states. I think that's like your Idaho, Wyoming. Oh, that would be, okay. Yeah. That wouldn't be mountain? I don't know.
1: West-North-Central. West-North-Central. Hmm. Colorado, Montana. Iowa. Yeah,
0: anyway. Of, a lot of those Dakota's. places where there's probably not even enough people to come yeah, in contact with anyway. <laughs> I don't know. There's just about 19 people in Idaho. And so. let's see. The most likely is Pacific at 48%. And New England at 48%. So that was kind of an interesting breakdown of who is more likely to wear masks. And, yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic around here. Like, if you go into a business, uh, most of the employees are wearing masks. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because they're required to. And you can often tell that they don't want to be. They'll be, like, dragging down below their nose. Or yeah. they'll even wear them on their neck as they run around. And then, like, which is interesting to me because, you know, if you think about the employees working at a business versus the people Entering that business, they all are the same people, right? I mean, they all live in the same community. Mm. So it's like the people at the business are only wearing them because they're they have to, and the people going in there, at least in my experience, are not wearing them. Like mm. at Wild Winks last night, almost no one's wearing a mask. Yeah. A few people. Yeah. I just, it's interesting, and that I guess speaks to where we're living in the country. Yeah. So, but I would say I would say that I see more people wearing them now oh, yeah. than I did like a year ago
1: right and I think that's the whole point like it's kind of daunting like this this actually helps um and it can keep our numbers down and I think it it brought it to reality when a lot of um like with how hard the south and southeast southwest were hit when when you know that friends of yours who are doctors are working their tail off just to stay on top of stuff you can't even call you know like when I started in Habersham they couldn't even there was public service announcements to not call ambulances because they had no one available to go pick you up if you needed it. Yeah, that's not good. Um, and so I think, like, when you have it that local <clears throat> and that tangible, um, it's you want to help out then. You want to help your community.
0: So and, another article we'll just go over real briefly, written by Alexis C. Madrigal for The Atlantic. Uh, the title is A Simple Rule of Thumb for Knowing When the Pandemic is Over. And so I thought this was interesting. I'm not going to read the whole article or anything, but... Basically, they were just looking at different experts, what they're saying. And I guess the goal kind of that they're shooting for is 100 deaths per day, I think, is kind of when we see it as like safe mm-hmm. kind of. What, what did you say that we're at right now? Uh, Deaths per day? Yeah. We're
1: right around between one and 2,000 right now.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm trying to see in the article. Roughly, I think there's 2,000-something that died yesterday, 2,300
0: maybe, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, and so um, Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease expert at UFC San Francisco, made a similar calculation. The end to the emergency portion of the pandemic in the United States should be heralded completely by curtailing severe illness and deaths from COVID-19. Fewer than 100 deaths a day to mirror the typical mortality of influenza in the in the U.S. over a typical year is an appropriate goal. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I found this actually kind of funny. Basically, they're saying once we get it down to the same as the flu, then is when we can kind of move on. mm mm-hmm. And it's just funny because, like, a lot of people who kind of don't take the reality of COVID-19 seriously mm. have been comparing it to the flu all along. Yeah. So experts are saying once it actually gets to the same as the flu, yeah. then we can move on. Right. Interesting point. So I think that's that's hopeful. And I think what's, what's kind of lame sometimes is
1: seeing the kind of messaging we are from our top brass, um, you know, that it's going to be so long yet before we're back to normal. And I think it's more of a strategy to try to keep people engaged. But I think the best way to keep people engaged and doing the right things with behavior... And all that would be to give them some light at the end of the tunnel. Right, like, we're almost through this. Yeah. Just hang on tight, keep doing the things you're doing because <laughs> it's of, working. Instead of
0: predicting it's gonna be like another year. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. This stuff's working. We could maybe hey be back to a high level of normalcy by summer if we keep it up.
0: So I heard this going around. I don't even know if it was true. Biden was saying something about a hundred days of masking and then we're done. Was that was there anything to that?
1: No, he wanted to do um uh, when he took office like a hundred day intensive. Oh okay. Um, Just like intensive, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, go back into doing some mask mandates maybe a lockdown kind
0: of thing a lot of that didn't happen but so here in kind of our last segment I wanted to talk a bit just about culture wars because that's always a fun thing to talk about but um, this is from David French's um, dispatch newsletter. We both really like David French at least I know I do. Also are you on Twitter? Yeah did you see David French's post about that book on Amazon that got taken down? I did not. Did you hear about it? I did.
1: Yeah. Ryan T. Anderson's book. Yes. Yeah. It yeah. was
0: what was the book? It was something in the When Harry became of, Sally. Something in the Dream of Transgender. Yeah. 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 So I just thought it was really funny because not because of the issue or what it's about, but David French tweets at Amazon. He's like, It is not okay that you took this book down. I hope this is a mistake. This is terrible. And dude, I just read down through the comments. I mean, like every single comment was at David French, just roasting him for being oh, really? like it's really ironic that you say that now about something you care about when he basically took the opposite stance about things like parlor getting taken down because his whole stance was it's a private company. They can do whatever they want. If they yeah. want to take Parlor down, they can do that. It's a private company. Yeah. Well, then when they take his friend's book down, he's not okay with it. And people were just really reaming him for this. Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny. Well, no, I did not see that. Yeah. I didn't see like his response or anything or if, if he was going to try to make an argument that like it's a different kind of yeah. deal. But uh, I was just like – I was sitting in my car reading through the comments. I was like, oh, my goodness. Which All I did right. see. They got, um, they got a lot of
1: pushback. Amazon did from even our uh, senators as well. So we'll see what happens with it.
0: Yeah. Um, basically, the Dispatch article was um, looking at the events kind of on February – or January 6th, the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol – Um, It says, two Senate committees attempted to get more answers on Tuesday, holding a hearing with three former security officials who were responsible for protecting the the Capitol complex that day. Um, The trio, all of whom resigned shortly after the attack, presented a messy, inconsistent picture of what happened, deflecting the blame for their inadequate preparation towards the intelligence community, saying nobody could have known at the time that a massive assault on the building was in the cards, they argued. They believe that their security plan was sufficient. Um, and then the article goes on, intelligence gathering from cross-departmental communication leading up to the attack had major flaws, but it's unclear why the top three capital security officials would require intelligence analysts to carefully spell out a potential worst-case scenario to them in effect. So basically, and then the article goes on, people who said they planned to participate in the rally openly discussed and workshopped their plans to storm the Capitol on pro-Trump internet forums. Mm-hmm. So I think what it's arguing here is that like this was foreseeable. And it shouldn't have been a huge surprise. Mm -hmm. And so then we're kind of looking at who do we hold accountable. But what I think is really interesting about this is we were trying recently to impeach Trump Mm -hmm. for inciting a riot. Is it logical to say that Trump incited a riot and that it was foreseeable and premeditated? Mm -hmm. Does that do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe you can even help me out here. Like the charges for inciting this insurrection, Mm -hmm. was it? focused on his words that day or is it more like of a general thing like this attitude that you took sparked this in the people so in
1: the in the case in which they were trying to convict Trump they first went back and they went all the way back to before the election about when he started basically making claims about how this if I lose this election is going to be rigged okay. um, so he started making those kind of statements to his voters and then after he lost the election then obviously there's all the conspiracies and he was um, an animate voice making the claim that the election was stolen from him. Um, And so they traced it through that and then all the way, and then his exact words in the January 6th speech, as well as tweets leading up to that day of, you know, fighting rah-rah type sentimentalities. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess these two things aren't definitely mutually exclusive. Like, it could have been premeditated Mm -hmm. and Trump could still be convicted for it. But I just thought it was interesting. Like, If you're going to say that Trump incited the riot that day from the podium, and then also try to say that it was premeditated. Those mm-hmm. things don't seem to line up. Right. But they're not necessarily mutually exclusive for sure. But he was not convicted. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an article here that we don't really have time for. Texas pays the price of culture war. But Man, um, Poor Texas right now. Yeah, Texas. That's rough. <laughs> say a prayer for Texas. Um, yeah, well, I don't think we really have time to get into that. So kind of the last thing before we wrap up here. Rush Limbaugh and the Rights Generational Despair was another article that David French wrote. I think this came about a week and a half or two weeks ago. Did you get a chance to read this article?
1: I had read it when it came out. Um, I'm trying to remember back to it. Yeah, 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 it came out. So recently,
0: um, Rush Limbaugh, who was a very famous, well-known um, kind of political commentator, talk mm-hmm. show host, passed away, and a lot of um, news and publicity over that event And so it was actually really helpful for me, I think, to read this article by David French, which is in our show notes, or you can just look it up, because I never really listened to Rush. And actually, after I read this article, I went back and I was scrolling through his um, uh, whatever it's called, the Rush Limbaugh show Mm -hmm. on the podcast, and I was trying to find the last episode he did just to kind of get a feel for his kind of tenor Um, And at the end of his life. I remember when I lived in Oregon, I had a friend who was really a fan, and so I would hear him on the radio sometimes. and. I was never a fan of Rush, just the just demeanor. It's not really my thing at all. But French went through and he said, um, you know, I think we often miss the fact that Rush completely changed the world of news, talk news, all kinds of news. Mm-hmm. He writes, even if you were a political hobbyist, it was virtually impossible to marinate in politics. Rush blew up this world. He nuked it from orbit. It wasn't just that his show was popular. He created an industry, and that industry created a lifestyle. Lifestyle.
1: Which is was more of the he was making the argument that Rush created the conservative news media of today, right? Like not yeah. necessarily the
0: media in general. Correct? Well, I think both. I okay. Think, I think both. He was saying like before Rush, like you just you didn't have people talking all the time about news. Yeah. And he's saying it might have been inevitable without Rush, but it certainly wasn't before him. Um he kind of goes on to describe the the peak moment of what he calls early Rush. <laughs> and Apparently there was an event called Rushstock, which I'm guessing is playing on Woodstock, where like a yeah. bunch of these people from all around the country drove together and meet, kind of hang out together. But then um, he actually claims that Rush's ideology changes and moves. Mm-hmm. He says, The one-time tenacious guardian of the Reagan-Buckley ideological legacy had become extremely flexible. It was clear what he was fighting against, which was elitist, the Republican establishment, and the left, but much less apparent what he was fighting for, aside from Trump. He says that, um, and then, okay, so I kind of read all this. This is the part I wanted to get to. The conservative side of the internet is full of stories of Rush's personal kindness and his generosity to his friends. Um, David French writes, I did not know Rush, and I didn't see that side of him. But in that way, Rush also mirrors his generation. I know countless good and kind older Americans, folks who would give you the shirt off their back and show up first to help you in a personal emergency, who switched almost immediately to a posture of bitterness and anger the instant they feel a political challenge. Mm -hmm. And um, next week on our podcast, I really hope we can talk about Gen Z because I found a really fascinating um, in-depth report about Gen Z. But one of the things in that report is just that – Uh, 52 percent of young people say they know more about politics than adults give them credit for and and the report also talks about how when you ask gen z what they think about adults who talk mm-hmm. about politics they say that they're dismissive detached they don't want to have an authentic conversation they just get edgy and mad as soon as the conversation comes mm-hmm. up and i th- i really think that Kind of this Rush Limbaugh style of talking. Politics as culture war. Yeah. Yeah, it's just—and even French points out elsewhere in the article, it's not even about convincing people. Rush is just about amping up his base, hmm. amping up the Republican base, getting him energized, getting him out to vote. But this is not the kind of thing that makes friendships. Like, this is not the kind of discourse that goes across party lines, across the table. It's just—it's an attitude. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And it's not the kind of thing that's going to reach Gen Z. I think Gen Z is fed yeah. up with this kind of stuff. I think
1: stuff. Gen Z is really turned off by that um, based off of what I've seen in personal experience and even just generally in these statistics that you were finding. Um, it's just cultural mentality is not going to find a home with Gen Z.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, the demeanor of – I don't really know where we, we fall as um, millennials I guess we're millennials. I kind Mm -hmm. of identify as millennial. We're on the tail end. But just this demeanor change, I think, between a large portion of Gen X and then Gen Z, just not really interested in just riling up and and hating on things as much anymore. It's it's more we want to be heard, want to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So hopefully next week we'll get to get to that more. It's a really fascinating report. Anything else before we head out of here? That's it. All right. Vote on the fast food, and if you don't mind, rate and review us. And one more piece of news: if oh, you live near yes. Oakway, South Carolina, which I do, travel I, through on almost kinda, daily yeah. basis, yeah. there's a sign out there that says "chicks for sale." yes, there is that. <laughs> it's a public forum. They want to know if we want a roundabout in Oakway. Uh, yes, please. Yes, roundabout. What we have right now is like I'm trying to think of the appropriate uh, shape
1: what do you call um, it, like a shape that where? has like
0: five like a trapezoid or something okay. with just a bunch a of lanes of going goes. through it and you try to decide oh. which direction you're gonna go when you come up to this intersection and there's like all these different ways of doing it so i think a roundabout would help us out for sure so that is my um that's my soapbox vote yes to the oak way vote roundabout yay. see you guys next week thanks for joining us and congratulations to davis on the free book